<clears throat> Good evening. My name is Adrian. I am alcoholic. <sighs> I'm also real cool. But after they sang that song, I'm done, y'all. I'm done. Uh, Hillary, thank you. That's the song that always touches my heart. And um, I'm finished. I'll see you all tomorrow. No. <laughs> um, first of all, I'd like to thank the committee. Uh, what a wonderful atmosphere. And I've never been to Jekyll Island before, and um, it's just really nice. And, of course, the Southern hospitality is you, you all make a person feel loved, you know. Um, uh, we've had uh, Tom spoke last night, and I happened to know Tom from my, my years during the general, at the general service office. And then Lon spoke earlier today, and uh, what wonderful speakers, what wonderful messages. Um, I, I retired from the general service office last year, uh, November 15, uh, 2013. That was my last day. So I don't know how long I can keep sharing and, you know, talk about I retired from the general service office. I mean, after a while it has to, like, wear out or something, you know. Um, but, uh, but we also say once a staff member, always a staff member, you know. Um, it was a privilege to work for our general service office. In case you don't know, GSO is located in New York City at 475 Riverside Drive. And it's there that um, we serve the fellowship. The, uh, whether it's lit, uh, creating literature, publishing the literature, um, providing materials for your committees that actually do the 12-step work. Uh, a lot of time is spent on making sure that you have what you think you need to do the work, which is carrying the message, whether it's to the uh, public information, cooperating, cooperating with the professional community, corrections, um, and treatment facilities. Uh, we also have a lot of literature committees now and special needs committees. When I came to the office in 1996, there were no special needs committees that we knew about. So things change and we, it's all about carrying the message wherever the still sick and suffering alcoholic may be. Um, so, so I happen to have been up the, at the office last week was that last week? Um, uh, every year, every two years, rather, there's a world service meeting. And that's really like a closed meeting of delegates from um, countries where they have a general service office. And they get together. They don't make any policies, but they come together to discuss how they can help carry the message in their countries better. And they share experience, strength, and hope. The meeting alternates between New York City and another country. So this year they're in Poland, so half the, the team is gone, and so they ask, can we come in past staff to kind of help out? And uh, so I was at the office, and I mentioned that I was coming down here. And uh, I said, is there anything you want me to say, anything you think the people need to know? So Clement, who's the newest staff member, is on the corrections assignment. And he asked me to bring these forms, the corrections correspondence forms, because we really need men to write to the inmates. You know? So I bought the forms, and I'm going to either I have them available. You can also check with your corrections committee, because I think they do have a display here. 
please, if you have the time, um, you can write to Emma, you can write to two of them. And just unashamedly and unabashedly, I'm going to do a little pull at your heartstrings, hopefully. Um, uh, this is the newsletter that is published for the uh, incarcerated folks and for the committees to take into the prisons. And in this newsletter, there are excerpts from letters that are written to the General Service Office, either requesting to be a pre-release program, requesting to be part of the Corrections Correspondence Service, or requesting that an AA meeting be brought into the institution. So this, I have some of these in, in this latest issue. There's an excerpt that says, I'm really looking forward to corresponding with an outside AA member. The amount of knowledge I gained from the outside member's experience, strength, and hope is priceless. Especially considering I'm in solitary confinement and I have no other access to AA besides my blessed big book and monthly grapevine. But the insight I get from the letters sent in from outside members is unparalleled. Please, please bless me with an outside member to correspond with. I'm really looking forward to exercising this gift by sharing my experience, strength, and hope with someone, but most importantly, gaining from their experience, strength, and hope. Thank you. So maybe somebody might want to get one of those forms and help us out. Um, our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened and what I'm like now, sober in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, when I came to AA, uh, I didn't, I hear people share about they came here and they knew they were home. That was not my experience. Um, I, I thought you all were a real pitiful bunch of folk um, who I just really blew it and wound up here, you know. Um, a little bit about, you know, I, 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 when I came, I heard about this being a malady or disease of the attitudes, and um, I definitely had a problem way before I picked up a drink. You know, somehow or another, it's always been about me. I was born like that. Um, I remember my grandmother telling me when I was a child, she would say, Adrian, the world does not revolve around you. So it must have been something in my behavior that warranted that kind of information that I didn't ask for. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then, I, then she would say, you can't have your cake and eat it too, which I really didn't understand, but that's uh, another fellowship. Because um, <laughs> what's just to having the cake if you, you can't eat it? Um, so, um, so there, obviously there was something with this personality I had. And then they, they told me when I was a kid that I was very intelligent. Oh boy, oh boy. I was just born that way, can't help it. And so I, um, and somewhere along the line, I just always felt like I had to have the answers. Because just in case you ask a question, I needed to give you a response. But what I discovered early on in, uh, in my book of life that I followed was that if you were at the, if you was asking me the question, obviously you didn't know, so I could make it up. And so that, that was my rule of thumb. And I'm going to interject here, and I hope I can get back to this because, you know, the mind gets a little different when you get older. I was at a brunch today, and it was a lovely house. Now, I told you I'd never been to Jekyll Island before, right? And it was just lovely, and, and there was this, like, fence, but it was wired or something. And, 
and you know, and you could see through it, and it was land. And I told somebody, they're growing stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hmm. Look at that. I bet they're growing some vegetables and some fruit. I was into talking about what they were growing on, in this land that was, had this, this fence on it. So later on, we were inside, and we're talking to people, and, and I'm talking about the growing, and what you growing back there? And they're like, that's like state property. We can't grow anything on that land. I said, oh, well, I've been telling people that that's what you're doing. And um, <laughs> now, you know, when I came there, I heard people say about alcohols, a liar, thieves, cheats, and I was like, not me. But I don't know why I got to make up stuff just to be making up stuff. You know, it sounded good at the time. Nobody else said anything when I said they were growing stuff back then. <laughs> then I was going to start, I thought you were growing peanuts and peaches. I don't know what you'd be growing back then. <laughs> and left up to my devices, I'd be working there next summer with farming the land. But, um, but, but that, that's kind of how I am. Anyway, so, so I'm growing up as this intelligent child, making up stuff, um, uh, um, long, but, but always, and I heard it before, not feeling like I fit in, you know. Um, and uh, my first, I, I loved anything that wasn't real, you know. I, w I, love, I, was, I was addicted to television very early, and I have to stop talking about some of the shows that I love because we've got three generations later now that have never heard of some of this stuff. I remember somebody said they didn't know what TV was like before we had remote control. <laughs> but if you come from where I came from, you know what to do with a set of pliers, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's when you broke the knob on the TV and you had to turn the channel somehow so you kept the ply set of things over there. But, anyway, so, um, but uh, I, and, you know, so, so, I, I, so I'm knowing everything and um, brilliant. My, um, and, and I didn't drink. Uh, early on I saw what happened when people drank. My grandfather, uh, I lived with my grandmother, my grandfather, and my mom. And my mother and father had separated after I think they were married like two years. Uh, he got drunk. She hit him in the head with a frying pan. That was it. Um, but um, so my mother worked all week, partied on the weekends. My grandfather worked at, um, on the railroad before it was Amtrak. I think it was um, Grand Central and uh, 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 New Haven Railroad. And he New York to Boston run. And he came home once a week. And I, used to, I remember sharing that when I first started sharing my story. And one day I was like, well, why did he only come home once a week? I, we lived in Harlem. New York City to New, to New Haven was not. But then I guess if you was married to my grandmother, you'd only come home once a week. <laughs> my grandmother was my shero, you know. Nobody took, you didn't mess with, they called, her name was Catherine, but they called her Nick. You didn't mess with Nick. Nick could bring down the best of them, and I wanted to be just like Nick. Um, but uh, when I was 15, my mother died, and when I was 16, my grandmother died. And uh, that's sad, but that's not why I'm an alcoholic. You know, I just want, to, want that to be the reason for it, but, you know, mental obsession, physical compulsion. When I pick up a drink, something happens to me. 
you know, I'm, uh, you know, it's like, you know, I remember somebody saying to me, other people have tragedies happen to them and they don't become alcoholics. It's something that happens to you when you put alcohol in yourself, the thing clicks and it might be slow, I might, you know, but I'm going to have to have another drink. I'm going to have to have another drink. And if I don't have I'm thinking about it, you know. But, um, but, I, but at that point I hadn't, I hadn't drank. And um, I, I, by then, I went to live. My mother had one sibling. It was my uncle. Now, you all got to follow this real closely because people tell me I confused them with this part. Now, my uncle, I will here to refer to as my dad because he was my dad until he passed away about five years ago. My aunt, his wife, who I hated, but I love her now, I will refer to her as mom, because she has been a mother to me longer than my mother was to me. Okay, we got that straight now? Right. I have people come up to me after, I thought you said your mother was dead. Who was that you was talking about? So we've had this, <laughs> we have this clear now. So well, I'm living with my aunt and uncle. Um, where I lived with my grandmother, where the world revolved around me and it was all about me, I went to live with them, and they, were, they had two children who I called, oh, here we go, I called them my brother and my sister. Um, and, and they had chores, and, you know, I didn't have any chores. My grandmother told me all I had to do was stay black and die. That's all I had to do. That's really not a good life lesson to live by, but, yeah. I later heard something like that later. I stay black, die, but you've got to pay some taxes. But, um... So I had this attitude, and I'm living with these people who are trying to live like a normal family life now, and they want me to have responsibilities and chores, and I hated it. I hated being with them. I, I hated them. Um, I remember thinking that I had to cook dinner three nights a week. What am I, some kind of indentured servant? Servant, you know. I mean, when you think about it, that's not a lot to ask when two people are working. My uncle was, my uncle dad, he was working two jobs. And my, and, and, and my mom, she was working a job. But yet, because she wanted me to cook three nights a week, I'm some slave. They think they brought me here to... But that's how, that was my attitude. That was my, I, I, I saw life so strangely. Um, so I lived there until I graduated from high school. Uh, meanwhile, uh, my father, before he got murdered, he was an alcoholic. Um, well, I, I, I can't... Well, I put it... He worked for the post office... And he was fired for drinking. All right? Okay? 1967. So he did a lot of drinking. And, um, but uh, he, you know, and, and I remember my father loved information. He was a very, my, you know, my natural father, he was a very brilliant man, um, but he couldn't stop drinking. And they called him the professor. You know, and I thought I'd never be like my father. What a waste! Also, when you're when you're young and you're brilliant, you I you're very judgmental. And I remember saying to myself that my father's life was a waste. You know, look at what he you know look at, he just drank himself to death. You know, well he didn't actually drink. Actually, he had gotten he stopped drinking. He was smoking a little something else, but he wasn't drinking anymore. And um, he had gotten a, a real estate license, and his life was going to turn around, and he was murdered. Um, and that's what, something that happens in my story a lot. It seems like just when things are going to be turning out all right, something happens. And that just kept reinforcing me about this whole God thing. You know, I grew. I went to Sunday school because the, the, the aunt, uncle, mom, dad thing. We went to Sunday school every Sunday because they went. 
you know, she was superintendent of Sunday school. He was, you know, he was a deacon and all this kind of stuff. So we went every Sunday. And, I, and at one time I believed in it and everything. And then the organist had an affair with the director of education. And they threw both of them out the church, but she got pregnant. Yeah, that's, but I didn't say that then because remember this was 1967. People just got to be people. I don't know why these guys throw them out of the church. You know, the church should be opening their arms to them. I was pissed off, you know. But, but, but then again, what did I know? I was 16 years old, but I knew they was this was. And when I got out of there, I was never. That was one of the first of many never statements I was to make. I was never going back to church. So I couldn't wait to, to, get out of, um, to get out of high school. And I, I decided to go to college because I was smart. That's it. That's it. Someone said, why you would go to college? Because I'm smart. Um, but when he told a joke about being baptized, I, my, my mom had said to me, she said, you know, if you don't get baptized, you're going to, and you die, you're going to hell. So I said, well, you know, I want to, you know, I got to hedge that bet. So I, I decided to get baptized because it had to be a public confession. I was 16 years old. And I, I guess it, it should have been a very spiritual experience. I have a, my sponsor says the only thing that happened to her when she got baptized is she came up wet. But, um, but I was so self-centered, and I didn't think I knew what self-centered meant, but I know what it, they made us put on, you had white sweat socks, a white robe, and in those days, I don't even know if you're, well, we got Spanx now, but in those days, it was a long line bra, playtex, long leg panty girdle underneath the robe, a white bathing cap. I'm looking like Orca. That's all I could think of. Yeah, and, he, and we were in a pool with, with the minister with these fishing boots that come up to your thigh. I, I was not feeling this at all, you know. But I just, I said, just in case I dropped it, I ain't going to hell. So, um, yeah, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible, terrible. But that was my, that was that experience. So I thought that insured me from going to hell. So I, so I went away to college and, um, so I hadn't really started drinking because, like I said, I saw what happened with my, with my dad, my grandfather, and then they would have a little get-together. Him and his brothers would start drinking, and then somebody would bring up something that happened 20 years before that, and then they start fighting, then they start cussing, then they start crying, then they singing spirituals. So I saw... <laughs> You know, and this would happen over and over. I said, why do y'all keep bringing up the fact that Uncle John did? But that's what they did. And um, so I was never going to be like them, you know. And so I went away to college. And, 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 of course, when you're brilliant, everybody has to know how brilliant you are. And everybody has to know how you feel about things. So you tell everybody about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. So I was never going to smoke. I was never going to have sex before I got married. And I was never going to drink. Well... Uh, sobriety date, October 29, 1984. Um, I was not 19 when I got sober. I was 33, uh, and I've never been married. You all put that rest of that together. Um, and I'm a woman, and I'm an alcoholic, and all that comes with that. All of that. 
things. I, I wish I had been in a black outfit, but anyway. But, um, <laughs> anyway, so, so I pick up this drink, and, um, so I told everybody what I wasn't going to do. And after a while, you know, they give me a surprise birthday party. And they're passing around the drinks, and I, it was just that simple. It was like, okay, and I took my hand out. And I saw people kind of looking like, you don't, you don't drink, what's she doing? And I drank that drink, and I tell you, I can still remember, I got taller. I lost about 20 pounds. <laughs> I didn't need glasses for about five minutes. <laughs> And if I thought I knew everything before I picked up that drink, I knew everything when I picked up that drink. And I began helping people. I've been helping you fix your life. I was solving problems. I was, oh, I was like magic, you know. And I tried to capture that feeling for the next 15 years. I drank for 15 years. And um, it's my story, and it's what happened to me. And, um, and, and alcohol was not kind to me, but I didn't care. You know, yeah, it made me sick, but that was the price I was willing to pay. You know, so you, you, you know, you, 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 you know, and, and what I did is I learned how to throw up without getting messed up. You know, certain, certain angles, certain trajectory, you had to stand. <laughs> yeah, take your glasses off. Don't want to get glasses or you don't get stuff on you. You know, and then when you finish, you go back in the wherever you're drinking, take something straight, push it around. <laughs> and you're ready to go again. Um, I was ready. I was willing to give up a lot of stuff for what alcohol did for me. And it, it, it just made everything all right. I remember I, it seemed like I had never been able to breathe until I took that drink. And I was able to take that breath. And it's funny because the next time I was able to take a breath was when I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was able to breathe. You know, so the journey was one of, you know, I, I heard somebody talk about blackouts earlier. I didn't know they were blackouts. I thought it was magic. <laughs> because I would be at the party or something, and somebody was laughing because I was talking about finger popping. I guess you don't finger pop no more, but I mean, I'd, I'd be getting down, I guess. And um, <laughs> the next thing I know, I'm home. <laughs> Ta-da! Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. I didn't have to worry about how I got home, you know, the two drawers. I didn't have to worry about none of that stuff. It was just magic, magic. <laughs> but what I have is progressive, and it got worse, and sometime it was ta-da, and I wasn't home. <laughs> yeah, it got, it got bad, it got bad. I remember the, the time I looked at my pocketbook, and I had this thing about ham. I had ham this day at brunch, too. I love ham. If I was at your house and you had, had ham, I was going to try to eat up all your ham. <laughs> but I, I don't, and then I would steal it. <laughs> Maybe it's for the fellowship. But I, um, but I remember and then opening up a pocketbook two weeks later and in the red dinner napkin, <laughs> there was a bunch of ham. You know. But I guess... Finding ham was better than the time I found my underwear in there. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's, it's crazy the things that would happen to me, and I have to make excuses for them because who wants, you can't deal. I, I, my first response to you said that some of this stuff make you, you had to have a drink after you remember some of that stuff. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, and, and I, because I, 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 I did graduate from college. It took me 
five to make four. And, um, and I came back and uh, I got a job in the Wall Street area and uh, I worked for a bank actually. I was in the back office money market division. That sounds glamorous. Back office money market. Federal Reserve. Ooh, y'all got a story about that down here. And um, so I, you know, I was, I was doing that, but I was drinking and using other substances by then, and it was crazy, and, um, and, 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 and I think that um, the unacceptable became acceptable. You know, I thought I had a urinary in, uh, problem, infection or something, because I peed on myself a lot. <laughs> I just did, you know, and, 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 and it's amazing how that stuff can become acceptable. Yeah, and then people people would say to me, you know, because I still don't drive, I still don't have a license. I did have some permits, and my brother said, Adrian, the purpose of a permit is to get a license. I didn't get that memo. I just kept getting permits. Um, so, but I never drove, so people would have to take me home. And I remember people would say, Adrian, please don't pee in my car today. You know, yeah. I mean, and on one level, I was a little embarrassed, you know, but on the arrogant, crazy, drunk level, it was, I peed at better cost than yours, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I look back, and I, and, I, and, and I can remember that look people give you to, like, like, what's wrong with you? You know, and, you know, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? So that's how, I, you know, I was living, and I still had the job barely. Um, uh, I was on uh, final warning for absentee and lateness. By then I was working 11 to 7, 11 in the morning till 7 at night, and I still couldn't get to work on time. You know, again, progression. When I was started drinking, drinking, partying all night, turn around, maybe throw some water on your face and go to work, and yeah, then it was drinking all night, maybe pour some water on your face. Then it was drinking all night and sitting on the side of the bed calling in to work and trying to get the voice. You know, I'm sorry. I'm <coughs> I, I, I won't be, uh, yeah, yeah, I won't be in today. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, to get to work and, you know, get to work. Right. And uh, I remember one time doing that and my boss said, oh, again, Adrian? And I got pissed off. <laughs> you know, how dare he? But, you know, um, so I wasn't a drunk by then that was showing up to work on a regular basis. And when I did, they didn't want me there. I was disruptive. I, was, I didn't work. I annoyed everybody. You know, I was in everybody's business. You know, um, it, it was, uh, I complained about everything. It, 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 was, it was terrible. Somebody said I had a job, but I didn't do much work there. Um, so um, finally, I'm home on vacation. And I used to travel a lot drunk. That's, that's great, too. You know you, look, you know, you look at the pictures and you say, oh, if I had on the green dress, I was in St. Thomas. If I had on the red dress, I was in Venezuela. You know. But not a lot of memories of the trips and then trying to control the drinking sometime, which was worse than not having no booze, I think. And so now um, I, it's gotten really bad, and um, I'm home. I have no money because I had used, I used to I used to go on vacation and work all year to pay for that vacation, and then go on vacation again. I was a year behind in my bill in my vacation bill, and uh, and so I'm home and I'm sitting in front of the TV with the you know the pliers. That was it, the pliers. Turning the television, watching the soap operas, you know, back and forth, and I'm living the life. Oh, I'm just you know, 
when I came to AA, yo, I was giving up a lot of stuff. I, you know, I, I, mean, I was giving up everything for, you know, to not drink anymore. This was the excitement it was. It was like, you know, sitting there with the pliers. And, um, and then uh, it got to the point I, 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 is that um, with the college degree and the education, and that's what I, one of the things that it, this, this disease doesn't care how many degrees you have, who you're related to, who you're not related to, where you work, where you don't work. Um, I, you know, I, I was in my house on Saturdays and then the, watching the karate movies. I don't know, I had a thing about karate movies with no sound, which is really interesting. You know, walking up and down, looking in the cushions of the sofa, trying to find money to go to the liquor store to get a pint of night train chilled, maybe or maybe not. You know, and it had to fit in my bathrobe pocket because I put, you know, put it underneath my raincoat. And this is the exciting life that I was living that y'all cut me down from <laughs> when I had to come to you uh, to get help. I had gone to, I, you know, my grandmother told me besides about, you know, just staying black and, you know, she also said to me, that we don't need nobody else. And never depend on anybody else because they're going to let you down. That's a hard way to live. It's a hard way to live. Um, very isolated way to live. I mean, people tell you that I had friends and all of that, but nobody knew what was really going on. Uh, another illustration was to cry. Now I'm, 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 I'm peeing on myself. Now I'm, I'm cool, right? I'm cool. But I'm getting these crying jags. I just start crying. I mean, almost not as cool as it was over here. Uh, you know, the nose running, my head is in somebody's lap, and I'm crying. And people are saying, what's wrong, Adrian? You help everybody else. Why don't you let us know, you know, what's happening? And I didn't know. I didn't know. And then the next time I say everybody, nobody mentions it. Yeah. So now it's, um, it's gotten worse, and uh, I go to the EAP, the Employee Assistance Professional. And um, I just, I, you know, he gives me a book. I talk about, he asked me about my drinking and my use of other substances, and I lie. And he gave me a book on women and alcoholism. I take that book home, and I thumb through that book because my grandmother didn't raise an alcoholic. I was too intelligent to be an alcoholic. My problem was I didn't have a master's degree. My problem was my job did not appreciate me. And there, was no, there were no decent men left in America. <laughs> that was my problem. Yeah. So that was in August of, of 84. By October 84, I was done. I was done. I remember speaking somewhere and somebody said, well, did you know it was really over? I said no, because I probably would have drank a little bit more if I had known that was it. Um, but uh, I had I'd been out drinking. I was in and out of the blackouts. At one point I was, you know, and I was following the booze. You people talk about what they do when they're following the drugs, but I was following the booze, and that led me to enough places that's enough for me. Um, I, I, you know, that whoever was buying the liquor, we went to some place on 42nd Street when it's not like it is now. And I remember... There was people on the, on the stage having sex, and the men had his socks on, and, and, and then I, I came to again, and, and, and then I decided that that could be somebody's child, and they told me I made a big speech in there, and 
Then I was outside with a, with a pint of wine. Um, and then I don't remember much. And um, I got to work the next day because I couldn't be late. But I, I was done. I, I just didn't, I didn't think I could do it anymore. And I went to medical. I, that was a little trick I had to go to medical and sleep it off, you know. And I went up there and I started to cry. Like I said, I'm cool. Never let them see you sweat. And now I'm in the medical crying. I'm in the medical of a leading financial institution that is no longer in business, but it's not my fault. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, and those coincidences that are not coincidences begin to happen. You know, my, 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 you know, I, my first sponsor, she just had a way with, when she talked about AA, it was just so mysterious, Adrian. There are no coincidences. That's God's way. And I'm like, why is she talking like that? You know, but, but I, I, it really, you know, sometimes I do, 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 but, um, but that's how she was. And, 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 and uh, that doctor, um, the, the EAP who I'd seen before uh, in August that gave me the book when I wasn't all those things, I wasn't alcoholic for sure, um, he happened to be there. It was his day off. And the doctor said to her, John, I still hear him say that. Mm. John, do you want to speak to her? She reeks of alcohol. Now, I wanted to tell him that, first of all, I'd bring vodka and it doesn't smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we know that one. And especially if you'd wash every once in a while. But uh, I lived alone, and I had seen Psycho, and I wasn't going out like that. And so I... I didn't bathe. What can I tell you? Um, and my mind was that you all were so stupid. Oh, yeah, and the world was stupid. Oh, the longer I drank, the stupider the world got, you know. And, 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 and you all were too stupid to know that I wore the same thing three days in a row because you were stupid. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. And so I, um, and he came over to me and he said to me, Adrian, are you ready to get some help? And everything, every fiber in my body wanted to tell that man to get away from me. My grandmother said, I don't need nobody, and I don't depend upon anybody. But what came out of my mouth was yes. But if I knew he was talking about drinking, that might have been a different story. But um, I said yes. And um, I went to an after-work treatment program, and it was there that I learned about alcoholism. And I was doing real good. And, you know, we'd go in the room, in the classroom, and they'd have these 12 steps hanging from the wall, which I assumed it was left in the previous class by mistake. <laughs> it wasn't for us, you know. And, uh, and so part of that program was they told me that I could not stay sober without Alcoholics Anonymous. So I came to y'all. Because for the first time in 15 years, I hadn't been drinking. And not only had I not picked up a drink, I didn't take any cough syrup for my nerves. You know, that helps you with your nerves. NyQuil, something like that, you got nerves. When I didn't drink, my nerves got bad. So I had to drink cough syrup. So, but not, no cough syrup, no nothing. And I thought, well, if that's what it takes to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever that is, with my brilliance, you know, whatever it is, I'll go. And so I came to you all, and one of the things they said, they said, you know, get a sponsor and get a home group. Oh, gosh. So the group, I go to this group. My first home group is called Old Park's Locating in Brooklyn, New York. 
and they used to call that the Paris Island of AA. You know, it was boot camp and all the hopeless cases. <laughs> people would dream in, just like you heard when you get drunk and they would, people would take you home and knock on your door and when your mother or father opened the door, your drunk person would fall in. Well, they would do that at my group. They would just leave like drunk people at the door that I guess that group couldn't do nothing with and give them to us. And, um, <laughs> and I went to that group and it was not my kind of people. After all, I was intelligent. You know, this group, they had to have little signs all over the place. First things first. Oh, for God's sake. Of course, first things first. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, you know, they were just so excited about being sober, you know. What's your name, Adrian? Hi, Adrian. It's like, first of all, you don't need to stop yelling. Yeah. And there was one guy, every time he would say, how was your day today? I said, well, I don't... Did you drink today? You know, I said, if you don't... <laughs> no, I didn't drink. Then you had a great day. And I was like... Hmm. Yeah. Then I tried to trick him, because I knew he'd ask me, so I tried to say I had a great day. Oh, it was so crazy. It was... Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, and then, and then they read how it works at every meeting. And they had 28 meetings a week. And I was there practically for almost all of 28 because I had nothing else to do. I'm not going to the bar anymore. You know, I don't have any children. I wasn't married, so I met the group. And then, and I hated the end of how it works because, you know, I tell you about the God experience. I didn't do the God thing. I figured if there was one out there, it would sure help you, and I would suggest that you try it. Whether it was the synagogue, mosque, something, it probably would work. But I wasn't doing it. You know, after all that happened to me, I, you know, I ain't messing with no God thing. However, I didn't talk too bad about it, just in case, you know. <laughs> so um, I've always been a hedge better person. But um, so I, I, I'm going to these meetings now, and I, I'm a kind of person, too, that I figure if I do everything that you say, Right? And then if it doesn't work and I get drunk, I can be in a very, in a very mature fashion and go, nah, 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 nah. It didn't work. So I, got the, I, I made that group my home group. Um, don't drink, make meetings, and do something for Alcoholics Anonymous. That was the mantra. Don't, don't drink, make meetings, do something for AA. You know, and if you keep coming and you don't drink and you make me into here, there's a lot more to that, more to this than that, but you just do this right now. And um, I came and I looked at those steps again that had been left by mistake in the treatment center when I was there. And, uh, and it was God, oh wow, anything that had God, no, mm-mm, You know, but I kept coming, I kept coming. One of my early responsibilities was I was chairing the third step. We had a third step meeting every Saturday morning at 11.30. And I chaired that meeting and we read the step and it was, it really, really helped me, you know. Um, And then, uh, but I still was having a problem with this God thing. So on Sundays we had an 11th step meeting at 11 o'clock. And I would go to that meeting and listen to people share their experience, strength, and hope about their spiritual journey. And I wanted your God. Oh, no, no, that one sounds better. That one. Oh, no, that God is good there. I want that one. I came out of those meetings so confused. I called my sponsor, and I was officially banned from the 11th step meeting on Sunday morning. 
It was like, no, you know, you just keep doing the Thursday meeting. And eventually I began to find the God of understanding. And I was a little resistant. I, I still want to be a little different. So I come from the era of earth, wind, and fire. So it was the creator. It was the master divine. It was the pyramid. It was, you know, yeah. It, 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 to, me, to me today it's God, you know. Um, and that journey has been incredible. I had gone on a retreat once, and, 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 the, and, the, and the priest said, it's a God of your own understanding, and not my God, it's your God, a God that will, this is the God that's going to help you when no human power could not. And, um, and I had an experience where I was home, and I had a desire to drink. The first time I had a desire to drink when I was, had come to AA, and it was bad. It was like, oh, God. And I knew if I walked out the door of my apartment, I was going to drink. And I remember just walking up and down, walking up and down. It didn't occur to me to call anybody, you know. So when you knew, it's all right. We don't think right. And um, so, but what did happen is that I knew to get down on my knees and pray to whatever this power greater than myself was that y'all talked about. And but, but the thing is, I, I got a little other problems, I think. Um, um, I had read and had listened to talk about Bill's white light experience. And when I'm, if you're on your knees and you're praying at the bed, I, could have, I couldn't have prayed because I kept thinking I was going to get this white light coming down and hear the voice of the God of the ancestors. So that kind of interrupts your prayer life a little bit. And... Um, so that was a little hard for me, and I had this ego thing where I had said that I was never going to get on my knees because my people spent their limbs. My people been on their knees for centuries, you know. I'll tell you. So I wasn't getting on my knees, you know. But, um, but that night, I got on my knees. I got on my knees, and, and I have developed a relationship with a God of my understanding that is just incredible incredible. It comforts me. It gives me strength. It helps me be who I certainly wouldn't be, you know, on my left or my own devices. So I kept coming to meetings. I got involved. I had to do something for AA. At about five years, um, my sponsor stopped going to meetings. And she said to me a long time ago, she said, uh, AA is not takeout. You got to go. And so when she stopped making meetings, I had to find another sponsor. And that was hard. But I did find another lady who's been my sponsor now for the past 25 years, one day at a time. And, and her sponsor is here and lives down here. Now, her sponsor says she's living down here now, but she's still from Harlem. That's my friend, Eve, uh, wait, Miss Evelyn. And, um, yeah, yeah. But, um, and, and, and it's just been an incredible journey. It has been incredible. Um, the, the steps, I remember, is the design for living. Um, at first, I didn't embrace it. I just used it because I knew I had to in order to live and feel comfortable in my own skin. But they told me, keep coming, and I'll, one day I'll desire to embrace this life and love this life and love every opportunity to take inventory. And I wish I could tell you that that's true. But what it does is keep me from doing some stuff so I ain't got to take inventory. Um, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's, I don't care. I don't care. I'm not supposed to keep my mouth shut. I got to say something anyway. And then I'm back taking the inventory, you know, doing a ninth step. Um, but it, it's given me the freedom to dream again, you know. I had stopped dreaming, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, my, my biggest dream when I was a kid was I wanted to be a mouseketeer. Yes, I'm like, <laughs> And in those days, and we're talking about the 50s, 
And I told my grandmother, I said, you know, I want to be a musketeer. And she said to me, go sit down. There's no such thing as colored musketeers. And that was true. And I remember saying to myself that I would never tell anybody anything that I wanted ever again. And um, so I'm sober about, I don't know, eight, nine years. And uh, my mom and dad, the aunt and uncle, uh, they decided they're going to take my nephew down to Disney World. So I'm going to go too, you know. <laughs> so we go down to Disney World. And um, my poor nephew, he was, he was only nine. I was like, come on, hurry up, hurry up, we got to go. <laughs> I had the thing written out every day, what we was going to do. You know, we had to go to this small world, we had to do this. And yes, I got my ears, and they say Adrian, so <laughs> I became a musketeer. And they say, you can't have fun in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, you know, I really didn't, I, my friend of mine, I have a traveling buddy over here. You know, you can have friends, but sometimes your friends ain't people you can really travel with, but sometimes they can be real needy if you had that experience. I was in Paris one time with some people who were sober, and they wanted me to make every decision. Where are we going to go today, Adrian? What are we going to do today? So in my mature way, I decided I'm not going to get out to bed. Let's see what they're going to do. <laughs> I was actually laying in the bed with the cover over my head, refusing to get out of bed, and they're sitting there like they had awake. They, <laughs> and I'm sweating, and it's hot underneath that cover, but I am not getting out of this. They're going to do something. Eventually, one left, and then the other one left. So I thought, no, we can't travel together. But my buddy over there from Indiana, we travel together a lot, and and uh, we have from, you know, both of us sober. She's got 40 years, and, and as long as we both live, and I'll always be 10 years less sober than her. And, um, and we've been a lot of places. And, uh, you know, um, to afford you the luxury of traveling, and we were, I was telling her last night, I remember, I, you know, when you travel so much after a while, you don't know where you are. You wake up. I kind of like that feeling still, though. And, you know, uh, <laughs> And, and I, we, we were in Kenosha, I think, for many conferences. And she had come up from Indiana. I was from New York. And I'm, I wake up, and I go, okay, where am I? So I'm thinking hard, too. So I look at the ceiling. I go, hmm, that doesn't help. It's probably a hotel, but I don't know where it's at. Right? So then, you know, like I turn over that way, and I look at the other bed across the room, and she's in her bed, and I go, that's not helpful because we travel so much that we can, I don't know where we are, you know. But then I go, I don't care. And I turn back over and I go back to sleep. Uh, you know, it's um, because I knew I was going to be all right. It's, it, it's been, you know, working at the office afforded me a lot of opportunities to see AA, you know. And, and, I, and I love still to let you know I, when I was on our international assignment, where we went to help when invited, other countries would ask for our experience, strength, and hope, and how our structure is set up, what works, what doesn't work. And um, in many places, the members were thankful for the literature, for the translation, so that they can be afforded, afforded the same opportunity we, we have, that they can walk into a room and find the same solution that we have here. You know, I am... Um, Let's see, I, um, 
I, I worked at GSO um, before I got there somewhere between the bank and um, I wanted to make a difference in a child's life so I became a social worker and officially could help people fix their lives, you know, but social workers need a little help too. But, um, but, but and I love that, but I was working for the city of New York and it, was, it got very political and, um, and I volunteered with AA and I was an appointed committee member for the trustees for a board committee on cooperating with the professional community. And we went to the board weekend, my sponsor and I, and they announced that there was vacancies at the general service office and my sponsor said, I think you should put in for it. And I said, no. See, when you're 10 years sober, you can say no. They don't listen, but you can say no. And, um, you know, because after all, I was a social worker. I got my social work jacket. I got my social work t-shirt. I got cigarette. And she said, I think you should put in for it. So that was, I think, in July of 96, I believe it was. And um, I just got my master's degree in social work. And uh, I started working at GSO in October of 96. And what a journey. What a time, a chance to work for the organization that saved my life, you know. Um, I remember so one of the past staff members told me, she said, you will see the best of AA and you will see the worst of AA. But thank God the best really outweighed the worst. I've met so many people who are so committed to carrying the message, you know. That's what we do here. We give everybody, we want everyone who has a problem with alcohol to be afforded an opportunity to find the way of life that we have found. Um, I, uh, my, my, the lady that I call my mom now has dementia. And I'm so glad I was given the opportunity to make amends to her. And she was a traveling buddy with me for a while, too. Her thing would be, um, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to Chicago for the regional forum. She went, Oh, I've never been to Chicago. So that's code for she's coming, you know. Uh, when I was, we did a forum in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and, um, and I, I remember that forum especially because it was around September 28th of um, 2001, I believe. 9-11 had just occurred, and um, I went into my boss's office, and I was like, we're not going nowhere, are we? You know? And he would say, what do you mean? No, we're going to, we, we got a forum. We're going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to the Southwest Regional Forum. And, I, and, and you know, my higher power does things for me because she, my, mom, my mom had never been to Albuquerque. So she had decided when, the, when we got our schedule months before that that she was going to go with me. And what a pleasure. She also was my spiritual advisor, a woman who lives her faith. And to have her with me when we sat in that airport with the dogs and the National Guardsmen. Yeah, yeah. But she was there and um and we and, and we also I was when I was on the international I had a chance to go to Geneva, Switzerland to the WHO and she came and she had to bring a friend. You know, they get like children. Well what am I gonna do while you in those meetings? So her and her friend came, so I'm in the meetings, and she's in the, uh, and, and then when we left Switzerland, um, you know, we, we took the train down to Venice, and then we went to Rome, and she had a ball. You know, now she says to me, you know, did we go to Rome? I said, yes, we went to Rome. She said, did we have a good time? Yeah. But then when I call her and I tell her that I'm getting ready to go on a trip,
She can pray. She remembers how to pray now. And she had the God of the mighty under your wings and something, something, something. And I go, yeah, yeah, thank you. Keep praying. Because I really don't like to fly. And I fly a lot. I was trying to count how many times I've been in a plane. You're talking about third step. I don't like flying, but I, it, it, I do what I got to do. I, I recently told somebody that I, I try to sleep. You know, and somebody said, you know, I, I, why are you going, how are you going to sleep? Suppose the plane go down. <laughs> Either I'm going to see Jacksonville or I'm going to see Jesus. One of the two, but I, yeah. I, I, yeah. And this is, this is not a religious program. That's just what I say, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I don't want to know. Yeah. Suppose you have to get you, have to wake you up to take... Get, go, go ahead. Just go, you all go ahead and jump out the thing or whatever you're going to do. But, um, but, but that's what I've learned in AA. We push past those fears. We push past all fears. We don't let the fears paralyze us, you know. And, and you know, it, and, and that's what it's been. It's been a, a journey of, of, of firsts and opportunities and not always making the best decisions all the time, but hopefully learning from them, learning from the experiences. Um, it is, you know, and it's not over. It, I don't know what the higher power has for me yet. I, uh, I was saying I'm retired and I have enough to take care of my bills and live comfortably. I have uh, my home group who now they're finally realizing that I'm home more because when you travel a lot, half the time everybody thinks that you're not home and nobody calls you. But I, um, I'm a strong member of a strong home group called the Spring Creek Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we meet Fridays, and we're one of the few 9 o'clock meetings left. And not only are we at 9 o'clock at night, they still insist upon going until everybody gets a chance to speak in the room. So we could be there till about 11 o'clock. And they just won't listen to me. I keep saying, we could have an hour and a half meeting, but that's how they want to do it. That's the group conscience. They heard the minority opinion, and you know what? They didn't care. So... <laughs> So I keep coming. I'm not leaving them. And, and um, so, I, and you can. When I'm in town, that's where you can find me on Friday nights. You know what? What a journey! I am so excited. You know, I, when I came to AA in '84, yeah, um, they were getting ready to go to Montreal for the international convention, and I was like. What's the big deal? I've been to Montreal lots of times. These people don't travel nowhere. Why are they getting so excited about? That's how, you know, arrogant, you know, brilliant people think. You know, they, they don't go nowhere. What are they getting all excited about Montreal? Well, when they came back, they looked different, you know. And I'm still nosy. I was born nosy, too. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to the next one to see what that's all about. So one day at a time, I said I was going to stay sober. I didn't care. I was going to the international convention, and that was in Seattle. And I went, and I, and it's, I don't like crowds, but I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. You know, something going to happen to that convention that I should have been there to see. So I went to Seattle. And when we were in Seattle, and they said, we'll see you in uh, 95, I guess it was, in San Diego. Oh, San Diego, yeah, I'm going to San Diego. Went to San Diego, awesome, awesome time. Sitting in there, and they say, and see you next time in Minneapolis. I looked at my sponsor, I said, Minneapolis? (laughs) (laughs) I ain't going to no Minneapolis, you know. 
Little did I know I would be working for GSO by then, and we go to we go to everyone and we work at the uh, convention. So we and Minneapolis was wonderful. I've never been to a, a, a bad one. So then after Minneapolis, and you know we'll see you all. I think it was Toronto next. And uh, Toronto was wonderful. I was working. And when you're working, you miss a lot because you're working. You know, you're not fellowshipping and stuff. You're working. And so and then we were in San Antonio, and it was hot, but it was great. So when I retired, I was like, oh, when I go to Atlanta, I'm going to be a regular AA member. I'm not working. So, you know, when I, when I was drinking back in the day, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you start the party, you know, your birthday was Sunday. You start celebrating before the birthday, you know. So, ladies and gentlemen, on, uh, I'll be back July 2nd through the 5th to celebrate 80 years of Alcoholics Anonymous, happy, joyous, and free. And I know we're going to have a good old time. Uh, you know, I want a lot of, can I get some peach pie? No, anyway. But, um, you know, and the hospitality, I, I mean, it's a big responsibility. It's a, it's a great event, but any of you who have been there, you know what it's like if you come out the airport and you see people with some kind of visor on this, say, international convention. And I would just love to hear a, hey, y'all. So they're going to need a lot of help. So please just, you know, suit up. I think this is going to be the, you know, what do I know? But, you know, you, I told you I voiced an opinion on that. I think this is going to be the biggest one we've ever had. There's a lot of excitement out there about uh, coming to, and one of the kids told me, ATL. I'm going, ATL? What's ATL? Oh, Atlanta. All right. It was, so come, coming down to the ATL. And, um, and I just want to thank you so much for my sobriety. And please, uh, I appreciate you. I love you. And Georgia is on my mind. Thank you so much. On behalf of the, behalf of the, not just the committee, but the